0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with Conversation Highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. On this edition, you will be hearing comments from Lieutenant General Retired Jerry Boykin, who serves with Family Research Council and leads the Kingdom Warriors Ministry. He provides biblical insights on masculinity, offering encouragement for Christian men to live in a manner that glorifies Christ. Then Karen Abercrombie was a recent guest on The Meeting House to discuss a new streaming series in which she plays the role of a judge. In our conversation, she elaborated on her role in some of the content that the series covers. You'll be hearing from that conversation ahead here on this edition of The Intersection. Also, there is a report on the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in the case of a graphic artist who is a Christian who did not wish to be forced by government to communicate a message that contradicts her beliefs. Matt Sharp of Alliance Defending Freedom discusses the positive ruling. Finally, from First Liberty, Stephanie Tabb provides insight regarding another case in which the High Court upheld the right of a former postal employee and employees across the nation to receive a religious accommodation returning to the intent of Congress when it passed legislation decades ago. This is The Intersection, of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Lieutenant General Retired Jerry Boykin serves as Executive Vice President of Family Research Council and is the founder of a Christian men's ministry called Kingdom Warriors. In a recent meeting house conversation, he offered a biblical approach to masculinity. He is the co-author of a book called Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood. Here now from that conversation is Lieutenant General Retired Jerry Boykin.
1: We uh, identified that a man is supposed to be a provider. A man should work. If he is physically able to work until he can, he can rest uh, comfortably, knowing that he has come through his work years and, and can now live off the fruits of his labor, and, and that's when he goes to the chaplain or the pastor of his church, and he says, I've got a little extra time now. How can I help here in the church? But also, as a provider, and this is what people don't think about, as a provider, a man provides identity. And that's why uh, you've got to know your own family roots. You've got to know uh, the history of your family. You've got to be able to share with the next generation uh, what's unique about our family, what's important about our family. He also provides leadership. And that's critical to being able to uh, to be the man that God's created him to be. The second thing, though, the principle uh, that uh, we I, I talk about in the book is we talk about how a man is a battle buddy. Now, what does that mean? Well, what it means is, and this is the hardest thing in the whole book for men to really come to grips with, because they think because i go play golf or. Or something else with uh, one of my buddies that we're battle buddies. No, no, no. The question is, can you trust that person to pray for you and not tell anybody else what he said? Can you go to that person when you are really struggling and lay your burdens before them and say, I need you to pray about these things? Can you be very sure that that person is going to be the person that's going to come when you call? That he's going to be somebody that you can trust? A man needs a battle buddy and you go back to Jonathan and David. you go back to uh, Joshua and Caleb. and you look at the stories of these battle buddies. they, they knew they knew each other uh, and, and in, a, in, a, in a masculine kind of way, they loved each other. and uh, so it's important for a man to have a battle buddy, and I can assure you that in the military you got a battle buddy. And, uh, and, and mm. the rangers, they have a, a ranger buddy. The third thing is that a man is supposed to be an, an instructor. That means that he's he's not only a teacher, but he's a mentor. And he mentors his children. He mentors uh, the, 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 the people that he can touch in his life. He mentors. He passes it on to the next generation. And stop and think about the fact that also, as an instructor, he has to know history. One of the big failures in our nation today, and one of the reasons that we have people that are not proud to be Americans, is because they don't know history. They don't know American history. And that has to change. So as, a, as the instructor, you've got to be able to pass on to the next generation what your generation did, who they were, how they influenced the world. And, uh, and then the of uh, next thing is that a a man is a, a chaplain and we cannot overlook the fact that we are the spiritual heads of the nation we're the spiritual head of the nation because we're the spiritual head of the home and the family and uh... yeah i hear all the feminist pushback on that issue but nonetheless if you look at the bible men were created to be the spiritual heads and that means we've got to know the word of god you better be reading that bible every day read something every day because every time you read it it encourages you it strengthens you and it puts you a little closer to the lord and you need that because you've got to be able to to lead your family in a spiritual way, not just in a physical way. You've got to be able to lead them in a spiritual way. And that's, uh, that's so important to what you, what you do there. And then he provides uh, an identity that is tied to the lineage of that family. How far back do you go as a family? Who were your relatives? What did they do? And uh, it's very important. My dad didn't have a high school education, but he used to ride uh, to my grandmother's house 80 miles from where I grew up, and all the way he would be telling me about uh, my family and who they were. And if if you think about it, identity is so important.
0: Lieutenant General Retired Jerry Boykin here on this edition of The Intersection. You can find him online at frc.org or kingdomwarriors.net. The book is available through faithfultext.com. This is the Intersection Podcast. I had the opportunity recently to welcome back to the Meeting House program, Karen Abercrombie. She is the lead actor in a streaming series entitled Eleanor's Bench, in which she plays the role of a judge. In our conversation, she discussed the concept and themes of the series, which is available through PureFlix. Here now from that conversation is Karen Abercrombie.
2: For many, many, many years, that had become her life, a life of luxury. She is a, a wealthy woman, and so she was living in that world of wealth. But coming back where she has to spend time in her own neighborhood, she sees things she'd never seen before. You know, she'd pop in and visit her dad, but now that she's there on a regular um, she sees. And so she wants to uh, make a difference. And there is one story in particular with a young woman whose mother was her best friend when they grew up. And that girl has, wow, she's struggling, let's put it that way. And she's raising a son alone. And um, it's it's powerful. It's, uh, it's one of the catalysts that um, changes her and uh helps her make the decision to go in the direction she's now going sitting on the duty bench and i will tell you that some of the cases that come into my court ooh, you know wow just wow and see I, I know personally from being a foster mother for many years my family we were fostering uh children for many many years we we, we knew firsthand uh, some of the things that some of these kids uh, were were experiencing. Just just horrific situations, you know? And so that's one of the other reasons I was so happy to sign on to Ellen bench. If we can make any kind of a difference, let us do that. And, mm. and we as people, we don't realize that I mean, you don't have to leave a job to take another job to do something, but we all can. Even from uh, where we are right now, we can make a positive difference. Yeah. And that, that that is part of the faith walk, very important. And as a matter of fact, she does find her faith again because she had laid it down. Yeah. So um, God gives her the strength to deal with what she's about to deal with in uh, juvenile court. Hmm.
0: Well, it does sound as if Eleanor, and you mentioned she has found her faith again through this overall process. It sounds like that, and you can give us some guidance on this, certainly Eleanor's situation, she finds herself in a position where she's more than a judge, more than just dealing with the legal matters. There are a lot of personal considerations, it seems like, for the families with whom she deals.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Her father is sick, we'll find out that he is terminal. So she has to deal with that. And a lot of things that had, you know, families have things that have been brushed under the rug. And uh, so that rug is rolled back and um, things come out, but you know, that's the only way to clear the air and bring healing, move forward. So Mm -hmm. you can see some of that in action.
0: So how did the production team, the writers and the producers actually l- look at crafting this content to the extent that it is accurately portraying what is taking place in our world today? Because obviously you want to to make sure that you're communicating, that you're touching the hearts. There's that faith element that's in there. So so how is that done from a research standpoint?
2: Well, um, dealing with the truth um not candy coding it i mean we don't have foul language or any of that but we, we've got some stories coming up in that uh courtroom that uh judge eleanor has to rule on now the writer uh Stephen, his mother was on the front lines you know uh, i know i hear stories where sometimes he and his brothers would come home and mom's already there with somebody that she may have picked up off the street you know because she she was a believer but she put that belief into action so you know they never knew who might be sitting at the table but they weren't surprised because that's the kind of a beautiful open human being she was you know she took the word as the word and put it into action so um That's another one of the reasons I
0: was so happy to sign on. Karen Abercrombie from a recent Meeting House Conversation here on The Intersection Podcast. You can find her online at karenabercrombie.com. To learn more about the series, you can go to pureflixflix.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming menu at faithradio.org. Through The Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests, Featured on the Intersection Podcast and the Meeting House Radio program. Also, you can find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple Podcasts feed. Plus, you can watch video of Meeting House guests through the Faith Radio YouTube channel. There's a link through the Meeting House homepage. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with Three Stories of Relevance to the Christian Community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can access it through the programming section at faithradio.org conversations from the meeting house can also be found through the faith radio app and a variety of podcast platforms search for faith radio podcast when you visit amazon music apple podcast pandora spotify and a variety of podcast platforms The Intersection podcast continues now with Matt Sharp, Senior Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom, who provided analysis of the ruling issued by the U.S. Supreme Court in the case 303 Creative v. Alanis in favor of designer Lori Smith, who had challenged a Colorado state law that would force her to communicate messages that violate her faith. Here now from that conversation is Matt Sharp.
3: This was a very encouraging decision authored by Justice Gorsuch and it was really focused on how when these state laws, like Colorado's state public accommodations laws, when they collide with the Constitution… Rather than what the lower court said, that the state law prevails, just the opposite. The Constitution prevails. Our First Amendment rights prevail over any of these efforts to force people to speak messages, to support ideas and causes that they disagree with. And so throughout the opinion, we saw the court returning to this theme, that no matter what your beliefs are, something that our Constitution has always stood for is that the government can't coerce or compel you to support something that violates your beliefs and so they gave examples just like we wouldn't force Lori to support marriage in a way that violates her beliefs we wouldn't require an lgbt website designer to create a website opposing same-sex marriage we wouldn't require a muslim to design something for a jewish or christian organization if it violated their beliefs we wouldn't require an atheist to support religion at all And so time and time again, the court took this very simple principle that wherever your beliefs may be, no matter whether they're popular or widely held or whether they're unpopular, the government never has the authority to use its power to force you to speak a message or support a cause that you disagree with. And that was ultimately why the court reaffirmed that Lori's rights are protected and that Colorado cannot force her to design wedding websites that violate her beliefs about marriage.
0: And you have those that would accuse Lori, and I believe that this was actually something you and I discussed as a result of the oral arguments, where Lori was not in a position where she was refusing to provide service to individuals. It is a matter not of the who, but of the what. In other words, it was about the message of the content of the speech that was the central issue here, correct?
3: That's exactly right. In, fi- in fact, multiple times the court reemphasized how Lori works with everyone, saying you know, she works with LGBT individuals and is happy to do graphic designs and websites for them as long as the message she's being asked to create don't conflict with her own values. Uh, and so if they were coming to her saying, can you help design a, a business website for us, She'd be happy to do so. Anything that doesn't violate her beliefs and her uh, core values, she's happy to do and has done so. And that's why the court was very emphatic to say this is never about the who, as you described. It's always about the what. What is the message that you're being asked to create? And that's why the court also pushed back hard against the dissent who was trying to paint this as – uh, oh, we're going to roll back civil rights laws and all of this, and the court actually said this is pure fiction, the idea that this is going to result in anyone being denied services because just like Lori serves everyone, our laws can still make sure that the doors of a business are open to everyone while still protecting against coerced speech and violation of our constitutional rights.
0: And I'd like for you to elaborate just a bit more with respect to the content of the dissent and really how the majority opinion pushed back against that, if you would, please.
3: Time and time again, we saw in the main dissent from Justice Sotomayor, this, I think, misreading of history, this misreading of what our Court precedent has said, Um, and again, painting this picture that, oh, this is going to result in people being denied access to goods and services, Um, and it's just simply false. Um, There is a, a tolerance that we as a society can and should show to people of different views. And that's where the court was really pushing back on is they were saying we have to make sure that there's always space for people with differing views to be part of the marketplace, people with different views to be able to open up their shop and serve their community but in a way that's consistent with their values. And what we've seen time and time again in ADS cases is whether it's Lori or Jack Phillips or other of our clients, photographers, T-shirt designers, and others that we represent, that there is a place where people can open their doors and serve everyone but still say, but please just don't force me to speak this specific message, this specific cause or idea that I disagree with. And so I think the the majority was very strong in calling out the dissents, misreading of the law, misreading of what this case was about, and again, calling it pure fiction, the idea that this law, this decision will in any way impact our civil rights law. Rather, what we are going to be impacting is the right of every American to never worry about the government knocking on their door and saying, you must speak this message. You must support this cause or idea or else. That's ultimately at the heart of this decision is the free speech for everyone is preserved and stronger as a result of the 303 decision.
0: Matt Sharp here on this edition of The Intersection. You can learn more about this and other cases through the Alliance Defending Freedom website at adflegal.org. More legal comments are on the way now with senior counsel for First Liberty, Stephanie Tabb, who provided information and analysis about a unanimous U.S. Supreme Court decision in the case Groff v. DeJoy, in which a postal employee had filed a lawsuit after being denied a religious accommodation from being forced to work on Sundays. Here now from that conversation is Stephanie Tabb.
4: So this is a major impact on um, on the rights of employees at work. Um, so previously, um, and so a lot of times employees like Gerald need religious accommodations. So this could be schedule changes in order to observe Sabbath or go to church or take prayer breaks or things like that. Um, so we see that a lot. We see it also in the context of religious Dress or garb. So if you're wearing a yarmulke, for example, and your employer has a no hat policy that you might need a religious accommodation there. So you can see this in a a variety of contexts. Mm -hmm. We've seen religious accommodations with vaccines and with um, other sorts of employee compelled speech where you might need a religious accommodation so you're not forced to violate your beliefs. So whenever there's a conflict between some aspect of your job and your religious beliefs, you might need a religious accommodation. And federal law protects you in many instances. So federal law says there's no discrimination on the basis of religion. And that, and one aspect of that is that employers are required to grant you reasonable religious accommodations unless doing so would cause undue hardship. And so this uh, this court opinion explained, okay, what is undue hardship? When do employers actually have to grant these religious accommodations? And they said employers have to grant it unless it would cause substantial cost to the business. So previously, under the previous standard that was in play for about 50 years, um, employers, all they had to do was point to some minor inconvenience, some minimal burden, to justify denying religious accommodations to people of faith but now they have to show okay we have to grant it unless it actually would cause a substantial cost on the business so for large employers like um like, and large government agencies like the post office these are ones that have a lot of resources that easily can accommodate and so these larger employers are going to be more likely going to be required under federal law to provide those religious accommodations.
0: And we know the United States Postal Service is kind of a quasi-government agency, but this is not just for government employees, or employers, I should say. It's not merely for federal government or public sector employees. This is across the board. Any company with 15 or more employees now, as a result of what the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled, has to abide by this new, new I guess I could call it a new standard. It's actually kind of a return to an old standard, right?
4: That's right. That's exactly right. Um, and so, um, yes, it applies not just to government employers, but also to private workforces that have 15 or more employees. So that's Um, a wide range of businesses. And then, um, yeah, it is a return to what Congress is, the original meaning of what Congress said in, I mean, in 1964, they said no religious discrimination. And then in 1972, they clarified that you have to provide these religious accommodations in these contexts. And so this is returning to a more meaningful, more robust standard protecting employees of faith. Because without it, if you observe the Sabbath, you could be barred from a wide variety of jobs in the workforce. If you just want to abide by your faith and do a good job at work, um, and your employer can accommodate you, but they just don't want to, that's what—that's exactly what Congress had in mind when they passed this 1972 amendment. And so and then this terrible case in 1977 gutted that and went, had a very pro-employer standard, totally disregarded the intent and meaning of of what Congress wrote down. Um, So now we've returned back to this robust standard protecting religious employees.
0: Stephanie Taub here on this edition of The Intersection. The website for the organization is first, spell it out, F-I-R-S-T, firstliberty.org. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by accessing that homepage through the programming menu at faithradio.org. Through The Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast and The Meeting House program. You can also find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed. And you can watch video of meeting house guests through the Faith Radio YouTube channel. There is a link provided. There is recently added content to the channel from the National Religious Broadcasters 2023 convention in Orlando, Florida. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.